You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. Well, it's good to be with you this morning, and uh, I think I've come through 10 time zones to be here, Uh, and you already noticed I speak a bit differently to you. Hopefully you can get your ears tuned to me pretty quickly. Uh, I believe this is an important message, otherwise I wouldn't be involved with this ministry. And it was important in my own life, I, as a young Christian, struggle with these issues about creation, evolution, what I was being taught at school and university. I got saved at the age of 10 when I heard a street preacher. That's a street preacher, not a strict preacher. Uh, Somebody heard that as strict preacher. Um, Street preacher. So um, uh, open-air preacher, and I heard the gospel for the first time and responded. But I'd been to church, I'd been to Sunday school and I had some sort of basics and that and never never uh, doubted that God existed. That was not on, the, not on my thinking. But, but then you get to school and university, get taught evolution and you get start to wonder, how does that go with the Bible? And I didn't know what to think about it. So some young people in Western Sydney in Australia... Um, just to want to back, um, we have school scripture or religious education in many schools, some states in Australia, where volunteer uh, Christian teachers can come into the school and present um, Christian teaching. Uh, some, some, some states it's compulsory unless your parents opt out of it. Uh, others it's opt-in. But anyway, this was in Western Sydney and uh, the people doing the... Uh, education asked about 200 students in several schools, this is in junior high school, um, what are the top questions that they had about things of God? And the first one is, how can I know that God exists? The second one is, how can a good God send people to hell? And uh, how can I believe in a good God when there's so much suffering? And doesn't evolution prove that God doesn't exist? Well, we're going to deal with three of those questions today and Number two, there's elements of an answer in what we have to say. So how do we answer these questions? How can I know that God exists? Well, the Bible tells us, first and foremost, that we can know that God exists because he created everything. In Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 20, it says this, For the wrath of God, sorry, the wrath of God, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What do they suppress? For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So the first thing is that everybody can see the creation around them. And creation demands a creator. So it's plain as day that there is a creator unless you suppress the truth. Now we live in a society today, both in Australia and Canada, where the truth is suppressed. And how do they do that? 
They do that through the teaching of cosmic evolution, that everything just made itself by a cosmic accident. It had nothing to do with God. In fact, we invented God. God didn't invent us. This is the view that permeates our societies today. It's in throughout academia, our universities, government and everything that God is a figment of our imagination and that the universe made itself. We don't need God anymore. So the Big Bang idea, you've heard of that, uh, where nothing produced the whole universe by accident. You know that? You say, well, here's a statement by one of the experts in the Big Bang, Alan Guth. He said, the universe burst into something from absolutely nothing, zero, nada. As it got bigger, it became filled with even more stuff that came from absolutely nowhere. Uh, here's a cartoon. Let me get this straight. First there was nothing, then it exploded. By the way, anybody ever seen nothing do anything? These people have enormous faith, don't they? Enormous faith in nothing. Well, they've got one thing right, and that is the universe had a beginning. That, that's got one thing going for the Big Bang. It recognises there's a beginning. And this is a, a certain finding of modern science, is that the universe had to have a beginning. Just like um, this basic principle is like we look at this rusty old car and you imagine that once it was a nice, gleaming, bright car and somebody's pride and joy, now it's a rusty heap. So what happens is that things don't stay new, do they? They wear out, they get rusty, they, they decay. And the universe is like that. In fact, the universe is winding down as stars use up the matter as it's converted to energy and the energy is dispersed everywhere, eventually all the matter will be used up and there will be no energy to disperse and you have what's called heat death and that's the end. Mind you, that will be a long time in the future but uh, things will come to an end before that by God's design. There had to be a beginning. Otherwise, if we'd been here eternally, we'd already have reached heat death and we wouldn't be here to talk about it. So the universe had a beginning. It's interesting, Hebrews chapter 1 has a, an interesting statement about God and about the creation. In verse 10, sorry, in verse 10 it says, And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They all wear out like a garment, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. So the universe wears out like a garment. The creation wears out. It's going to run out one day, but God does not wear out. He is eternal. He, his years will have no end. And this is a, a fundamental principle of the nature of God. So everything that has a beginning has to have a sufficient cause or an instigator or something to cause it to happen. And this is a basic principle of cause and effect, which is the basis of science and logic and rationality. Uh, it's the basis of uh, sanity. In fact, if I said to you, this chair just made itself, nobody made it, you would say, you need a psychiatrist. But they're telling us not just a chair made itself, but the whole universe made itself from nothing with no cause whatsoever. And Romans chapter 1, that passage we read a while ago, goes on to say, when people deny the knowledge of the Creator, God gives them over to futile thinking. Futile thinking or in the old version says rep reprobate thinking. 
but futile thinking and we see futile thinking abounding in our culture today. I just think about the indoctrination of children in school to tell them that uh, a girl can become a boy. It's just absolutely bizarre child abuse. But, um, you know, you can't. Every cell in your body is either male or female. You can't change those cells. It's a pipe dream to think that you can change your gender or sex. But such, as the, such are the lies being told to our kids in school, and it's happening here, I know, people have told me about it, happening in Australia. Uh, God gave them over to futile thinking. We see it, in, see it abounding. Anyway, the universe had a beginning. What would be a sufficient cause for the universe? The Bible says that God is, is all-powerful. And Romans chapter 1 says that. His attributes are seen. His eternal power is seen in what he's created. You look at the stars and see the energy in them uh, and the amazing power in the universe and you think what would be sufficient to cause the universe there had to be something very powerful and that's how God is revealed in the Bible the cause also had to be non-material why do I say that you see if God was made of matter like the universe then God would be subject to decay just like the universe uh, so and of course as we read in Hebrews God is eternal He's not subject to decay, um, and uh, he is spiritual. And only a spiritual being could be eternal. So we have to have a supernatural cause for the universe, something which could be eternal uh, to bring about the universe. The Bible says in many places that God is spirit. Romans, uh, John chapter 4, verse 24, God is spirit, those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So what about the atheist objection, who created God? How does that stack up? Uh, anybody here believe in a God who was created? Nobody. Oh, God was created. God was created. God is eternal. It means he can't be created. So um, someone says to me, who created God? I say, I don't believe in a God who was created. Next question. It's a, it's a rid ridiculous objection. But see, being materialists, atheists think that God must be a material being. And they understand that material beings can't be eternal. So that's where this comes from. A complete misunderstanding of who God is. So here we've been looking at the big picture, the whole universe, and we see the fact that God must exist. And not just God, but a powerful, supernatural creator must exist. We come down to really tiny things, right at the other spectrum of things, and we look inside cells. We can look at lots of things in between, but let's, let's look inside a cell. And right now inside your cells, there's a little delivery system delivering parcels of proteins in your, inside your cells. And here's an animation of this delivery system operating. And I can see your delivery systems are operating quite well because you're all alive. So you can feel them, can't you, walking around inside? No, you can't. <laughs> now, this is an amazing system. The proteins, and we can manufacture 
uh, hundreds of thousands of proteins. They're not quite sure how many. Different cells manufacture different proteins, but there's at least several hundred thousand proteins produced by our cells, and they're incredibly complex. Each one is amazingly complex. So proteins are things like enzymes that digest your food and hair. I don't have much of that, but anyway. Um, new skin cells and bone and all these things have got proteins in them. Insulin is a protein. You know these, you've heard of some of these. But um, the proteins are manufactured with an address label on to say where they go to because, uh, well, they need to go over here or over here or outside the cell and uh, they have an address label and the cell reads the address label and packages up the ones that have to go to the same destination and packages them together and then there's an address label on the outside of the uh, this package which says where they're to go to and the cell sends them to where they're to go to. So we've got proteins, we've got address labels, we've got reading the address labels, we've got packaging them up. Delivery system, would there be any purpose to any of that unless it was all present? No. So how could such a thing happen by some accidental changes in stuff over millions of years? Couldn't. Could only come about by intelligent design, which speaks about our creator being super, super intelligent because we couldn't even start to think about how to do this. And the scientists that have discovered this are amazingly uh, capable but they couldn't have imagined how to actually create it. And so, and yet many of those scientists would say evolution made this. No, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Uh, you know, this is very tiny. There's 125,000 steps in a millimetre. Can you imagine that? That's why you can't feel it. It's so tiny inside our cells. Amazing nanotechnology. So there's nothing truer than the first verse of the Bible which says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But there's lots of other evidence that God exists. The Bible is in fact evidence that God exists. It's unity, for example. It was written by over 40 authors from 19 different works of life over 1,600 years and yet it has a unified message. It's preservation. Uh, Roman Emperor Diocletian following an edict in AD 303303, thought he had destroyed every hated Bible. He erected a monument over the ashes of a burnt Bible to celebrate his victory. 25 years later, the new emperor, Constantine, commissioned the production of 50 Bibles at the expense of the government. God has the last laugh. Uh, and today, the Bible is translated into more languages than any other book on earth. Uh, it's historical accuracy. Again and again and again, archaeology confirms what the Bible talks about. And there's a massive amount of evidence for the Bible's historical accuracy. So if it's historically accurate and things you can check, surely you should believe the things you can't check. That's logical, isn't it? Scientific accuracy. There are many things the Bible talks about. Now, the Bible's not a science textbook. Otherwise, it would have been out of date years ago. That's, what, that's the nature of science textbooks. They're out of date when they're printed, actually. <laughs> but the Bible can never be out of date because it comes from the author of the universe. God himself knows all the science there is to know. So if the Bible talks about scientific issues, it speaks the truth. People who say the Bible's not a science textbook are implying that you can have errors in the Bible about science. No, I don't believe that's, 
that would not be true to the word of God. Uh, and so, for example, in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22, it says the earth is round. No, it's not flat, it's round. Uh, the earth is suspended in space without support, Job 26, verse 7. That contrasts with the Hindu view, for example, that the earth is supported by elephants. Well, what supports the elephant? Well, another elephant. What supports that elephant? Another elephant. It's all, all elephants all the way down. And... Uh, the stars are countless. You know, people in the th past thought you could count the stars of several thousand. Look up and count them. Depends where you are, of course, how many you get. Um, when you're in the city, you don't count so many. In the country, you count more. But they thought you could count the stars, but the Bible says they're countless, which is true, and many other things the Bible talks about, which uh, clearly shows that it's authored by somebody who knows everything. Prophecy. So many prophecies have been already fulfilled, uh, many of them in Jesus, but many other prophecies have been ful fulfilled as well. It's civilizing influence. Uh, it's uh, the civilization we enjoy today in places like Canada and Australia comes from the gospel. There's a book at the back there called The Air We Breathe, written by an Australian who lives in England. And uh, it's one of the best books I've read in a long time. It's a great book to give the non-Christians. But the air we breathe shows how everything that's valuable in today's world, today's Western world, comes from Jesus. Uh, people sort of take it for granted that we have rights and we respect people and all this sort of thing. But these things were not present before Jesus. Um, if you were not on the top of the pile, you were abused by everybody above you. There were no such things as rights. I mean, slavery was rife, for example. Uh, honesty, the Bible tells it honestly. Uh, King David, all these warts and everything, all these bad things are all there. Um, Life-transforming effect. Many of us have been transformed by reading the Bible. From gutter to glory. You know, Has atheism ever saved anybody? And Jesus... So the Bible is evidence that God exists. Jesus is evidence the Bible exists. The Bible says, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through him also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus reveals to us God. In fact, Jesus claimed to speak as God, he did things that only God can do, like raising the dead and healing people of diseases that were incurable. And by the way, why did Jesus go around healing people and raising the dead? Why did he do that? It relates back to Genesis that Adam brought death and suffering and disease into the world. And Jesus, the Messiah, comes to undo what Adam did. So C.S. Lewis pointed out that Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. They're the options. He's clearly not a liar or a lunatic, which means he must be Lord. And so C.S. Lewis he called himself the most reluctant convert to Christianity. Uh, he didn't want to be a Christian, but he was basically forced by the force of logic that Jesus was indeed Lord and became a Christian. The resurrection... The tomb was empty. Many people have set out to try and disprove the resurrection 
And what happens? They end up becoming a Christian because the evidence actually only makes sense that Jesus actually did rise from the dead. Uh, Frank Morrison wrote a book called Who Moves the Stone? He set out as a non-Christian lawyer to prove the resurrection didn't happen. Came to faith in Christ. Lastly, the Christian knows God. Uh, as it says in Romans chapter 8, for we all... For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. For those, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We have a personal relationship, which, of course, if we're Christians, this confirms the fact that God exists. I had an atheist say to me, uh, what could I do to prove to you that God doesn't exist? What evidence would you accept that God doesn't exist? I said, could you prove my wife doesn't exist? He said, what? What's that got to do with it? I said, well, I, have, I know my wife. I've got a personal relationship with my wife. I know she exists. I have a personal relationship with God. I know he exists. So how could you prove God doesn't exist? Ah, I hadn't... <laughs> And that's the bottom line, of course. But, of course, many of the people we meet, they don't have a personal relationship, so we've got to get them over the line. Where do we start? Well, we start with these things like the creation reveals God, the Bible reveals God, Jesus reveals God, the resurrection shows it, etc. These things are the evidence that God has provided for us who are not yet believers to get us to become believers. So, next question. Doesn't evolution prove that God doesn't exist? Well, young people have got the message that the whole idea of evolution is to get rid of God. That's the whole point of it. It's not a scientific explanation for how everything came to be. It's a, another way of thinking about everything which ditches God. In fact, Julian Huxley, who was head of UNESCO for many years, uh, he said this, Darwin's real achievement was to remove the whole idea of God as the created organism from the sphere of rational discussion. That's the whole point of it. I didn't understand that when I was trying to marry evolution with the Bible. That's what I tried to do as a young Christian when I got exposed to teaching of evolution at school and university. Having done biology at university, there was plenty of evolution, particularly early on. It sort of fizzled out a bit when they get into the details because it doesn't fit the details. <laughs> But on a superficial level, it can be very convincing. And so uh, many don't get past the superficial and think that, yeah, it banishes God. In Australia, we have a census. I assume in Canada you have census and you've got questions to answer on your census form every few years. So there's a question on the Australian census form about your religious beliefs and they ask you what you believe. You don't have to answer it. It's not compulsory, but... Um, the atheists have been on the, on the rampage to get people to answer the question with, I'm an atheist. <laughs> That's in recent times. But this is the census data right back to 1901. And we see there the rise of atheism from the 1960s onwards. They have changed the way that asked the question a bit, but... There's a very distinct trend there that's obvious. Before 1960s, there were hardly any atheists. And uh, do you know that now surveys show that middle high school students, half of them say they're atheists in Australia? And I imagine it's similar here. It's sort of almost fashionable. 
And uh, you think, well, that means half of them aren't atheists. That's good. When they're asked what they believe, they say they believe uh, about a third of them. In other words, a third of the total say they believe in the force. What's that? Any Star Wars fans? That's Buddhism, the force. Some spiritual force that pervades the universe that's neither good nor evil. Uh, so do you think, well, that doesn't leave too many that could be on the Christian spectrum. No. Pretty sad. Very sad. So what happened in the 1960s that might have contributed to this rise in atheism? Well, that's when they started teaching evolution to everybody in school. 1963 it was in Australia they started teaching evolution to everybody in school in New South Wales and quickly it spread through the other states. <clears throat> so you've had uh, a non-believer, Julian Huxley, pointing out that evolution gets rid of God. Dr Martin Lloyd-Jones is a highly respected Christian uh, preacher and he said this, he said, the origin of species, I suppose, has been more responsible for undermining people's faith and belief in the scriptures and in God's way of salvation than any other single book. It's the origin of species, Darwin's book is evolution. Evolution is responsible for people doubting the word of God. So is this against God's word? Is it against God? Of course it is. And what do we do with things that are against God? The Bible tells us to demolish them. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets us up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You notice it says we demolish atheists. Is that what it says? <laughs> no, we demolish arguments. Now, when you demolish people's arguments, their worldview, the, the whole way of thinking is challenged, they're going to often get angry with you. Right? That's good. That's good. It means that they're being rattled and they're thinking for a change. But be careful they're not getting angry at you because you're being obnoxious. You've got to do this in love. If you're not willing to challenge people's unbelief, then you don't love them. And so we need to challenge people's unbelief and, uh, and do this. Now, people think that there's all this evidence for evolution, and one of the things they think is that their fossils show evolution. Fossils show evolution. Now, here's a diagram, and it's rather complex, but I'll just explain it. This is from a science journal called Science, which is the number two science journal in the world, and here's all the different sorts of dinosaurs across the top here, and the black bars going down through the page represent the fossil evidence going down through the rock layers. So you get the picture? Now... Notice the title is The Evolution of Dinosaurs. That's the title of the article. It's all about the evolution of dinosaurs. In other words, how did dinosaurs come to be? They come about by evolution. So we have all the different sorts of dinosaurs and birds over here. And we've got T-Rex, we've got Stegosaurus, we've got Patosaurus, Brachiosaurus, all these different dinosaurs. And they all go back down here to a common ancestor down the bottom. This is evolution. So all these different types came from one, one type down the bottom here, supposedly. But notice something. There are open bars and dashed lines joining all this up into a big family tree. But you know what? There's no evidence for the open bars and the dashed lines. The only evidence are the black bars. Now, black bars don't show, you, show one kind of dinosaur changing into another. There's no evolution in the black bars. 
Now, let's colour in all the imagination in red and blue. This is no fossil evidence. And then let's erase it and see what happens to the diagram. Whoops, what happened to the evolution? You erase the imagination from the diagram, the evolution disappears. God created different kinds of dinosaurs to reproduce according to their kinds. Ah, but what about human evolution? Uh, we all know there's ape men, you know, and we came from apes. Seven million years ago, we had this ape and that gave rise to chimps and humans over the last seven million years. And maybe this was our great-great-great-grandmother. And you've all seen the diagrams of the stooped ape standing up to become a human. It's, in, it's embedded in your mind. It's engraved upon your soul. Must be true. Scientists say so. Well, I've got a little video here which deals with these supposed ape men in about three minutes. So hold your, hold your horses and here it goes. Now, if you'd like to revisit that, it's on our YouTube channel, Creation Ministries International YouTube channel. You can find it there and you can follow through the references if you like. So Michael gave us a, a testimony. He said, I counted evolution in my youth. This was a very big stumbling block to my belief in the Bible during my search for God. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour at 47 after all these years of stumbling around because of the evolutionary stuff. And he said, I've been very grateful to see him. I have opened my mind. So we need to open minds, but there are blocked ears, aren't there? And the blocked ears are largely due to this evolutionary uh, indoctrination. Now you say, well, it's sin. Yes, it is sin. That's like saying aircrafts crash because of gravity. <laughs> but aircraft crash for reasons and people ignore the things of God for reasons. They don't, it's not just, there's an excuse for sin, yes. But there's an excuse. We need to remove the excuses so they don't have an excuse for their sin and it's just blatant sin. And there's lots of material on our website. And it's very difficult to remember the name, creation.com. Want information about creation? Go to creation.com. Because six days out of seven there's new material posted on the website, people, of course, are busy and they might miss something that could be useful in their witnessing or sharing with somebody or for their own uh, information, for teaching their kids. So we put out a thing called Infobytes and it's an email newsletter. It comes about every two weeks and the idea is to summarise uh, in just brief paragraphs and things uh, some of the articles that have been on the website in the last two weeks. And here's a couple of examples of this um, uh, Infobytes and uh, this very interesting topics. You can, can connect with us through the Infobytes. Up on the tables at the back there, you'll find a form that looks like this. Uh, we also have our social media channels and uh, just have a look at that and uh, sign up for our Infobytes and there's also a bonus when you do that. If you buy anything else on the tables, you'll get a free uh, video uh, there, DVD, to take home with you. So um, bring it to the, go to the resource area afterwards where you'll also find lots of other books and videos and things. Uh, and uh, I'll talk about a couple of those later, but there's a lot that I can't talk about. But see Kevin or see me and uh, get some advice about things that might be suitable for your own use in your own family or your own witnessing. 
So the next question these young people had is how can I believe in a good God when there's so much suffering? They understand that the evolutionary view of the hundreds of millions of years of time or billions of years of time, this evolutionary world that they're thinking about and they're thinking God created using evolution, that doesn't work. Uh, but uh, they think about all the suffering because if you think about the hundreds of millions of years, where are they? They're in the rock layers under our feet and in those rock layers are fossils and fossils are the remains of once living things and the fossils are a record of pain, death, killing, disease, thorns, struggle for survival, suffering and extinction over hundreds of millions of years. But God said when he finished creating everything it was all very good. So the evolutionary view, to marry evolution with the Bible like I tried to do, means that you're saying that all this death and suffering and disease was happening before the people came on the scene. In other words, before Adam and Eve. So you think about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, you think of being paradise, but in fact sitting under their feet in the garden were all these dead things, a record of death, disease and suffering over hundreds of millions of years. Does that compute? And God said it's all very good. No. See, people have this view that the world has always been a place of death and suffering and disease and if God created it, then God is not good. As many have said that. But that's not the truth. The truth is that death and suffering came because of sin. So you can imagine Adam in this garden where there's death and suffering going on and God said everything was very good. He, says he saw everything he made and behold, it was very good. Now, that's not the reality. The reality is it was very good. There was no death, suffering and disease. And the New Testament comments on the origin of the death, suffering and disease in many places. But Romans chapter 8, verse 22, for example, says, We know the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Now, God didn't create it groaning and suffering. It became that way because of sin. The verse before says... Creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption. How? Because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did. He is to redeem the whole of creation through his death and resurrection. Genesis chapter 3 tells us about what happened when Adam rebelled against God. God came, and God warned him and said, You will eat of that fruit, uh, you will die. Now, what sort of death was he talking about? He's talking about physical death. He says here, uh, in verse 17 of chapter 3 of Genesis, to Adam he said, because you listen to your wife, sometimes guys it's not good to listen to your wife. Most of the time it's good to listen to your wife, but sometimes it's not listen. This is one of those occasions. Because you listen to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you, through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. So hard work to survive Survival of the fittest, if you like, came about because of sin. The next verse says, Both thorns and thistles it will grow for you, and you will eat of the plants of the field. Thorns and thistles came about because of sin. Plants of the field are plants you need to cultivate to get, get them to produce, as distinct from plants which you just pick fruit or whatever off a tree. So thorns came about because of sin, but the evolutionary story says that they were around before dinosaurs even. Uh, well, I don't believe the dinosaurs were millions of years old, but we'll talk about that in a minute. But, uh, but it certainly their story says that they were around well before people came on the scene. 
And verse 19 says, By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you are taken, for dust you are, and to dust you return. So Adam's sin, you know, when I was trying to believe in evolution and the Bible, I would say, well, Adam's sin brought about spiritual death, separation from God. Well, it certainly did that, but primarily it brought about physical death, which is why Jesus died a physical death on the cross. So you can think about this, that uh, God says to Adam, you, you are dust and to dust you shall return. Talk about the return to the ground, physical death. And if Adam was living in a world where there was already death and suffering and disease, he would say, I'm going to die anyway. What's the point? No, that's not the situation. And the New Testament, again, connects Jesus' death back to what happened here. First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Put up your hand if you're human. About 50%. We're all in Adam. We all die. But the Bible says also in the New Testament that we all confirm what Adam did by our own sin. We deserve to die for our own sin. But fundamentally, death came through Adam. We're all descendants of Adam. We all die in Adam. And just as there's one federal head of the human race in Adam, there's another federal head of another human race in Christ. So all those in Christ we've made alive. How's that happen? Well, it happens when we're born again of the Holy Spirit into God's forever family. And so... First Corinthians chapter 15, talk about the resurrection and the significance of the resurrection, bodily resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead bodily, not just spiritually. Uh, why? Because death, of course, physical death came through sin. Jesus had conquered physical death through his death and his resurrection. The first Adam brings death. The last Adam brings life. So you see how the gospel in the New Testament connects back to Genesis. If Genesis is some sort of myth then it undermines the gospel. Albert Moller, Dr. Albert Moller is uh, a president of the Southern Baptist Seminary in Kentucky, a very good man, and he said this. He said, The denial of a historical Adam and Eve, which this whole theistic evolution thing does, which is rampant in our theological institutions, I might add, the denial of historical Adam and Eve as the first parents of all humanity and the solitary first human pair suffers the link between Adam and Christ, which is so crucial to the gospel. He goes on to say, if we do not know how the story of the gospel begins, then we do not know what the story means. Make no mistake, a false start to the story produces a false grasp of the gospel. A false start to the story produces a false grasp of the gospel. So today... We have the gospel being presented, for example, as come to Jesus for a better life. No, come to Jesus for forgiveness, otherwise you're damned for eternity. Not for a better life. Mind you, it is a better life, but it's for salvation. So summarising, a view of Genesis that accommodates evolution and or deep time, if you think about the consequences, robs Christ of his glory as creator because it attributes to the creation what should be the glory of the creator. That God, Jesus, through Jesus all things were created and they're attributing the natural processes which, which should be attributed to the creator. It undermines the goodness of God because it says that God created a world of death and suffering. It undermines the gospel because it says that death didn't come through sin. 
it undermines hermeneutics because it says, how can you understand any of the Bible if Genesis isn't as actually understood as read? And as understood by Jesus and the apostles and the early church fathers and almost everybody up in the last 200 years. It undermines eschatology, the end times, because if death and suffering and disease was part of God's original creation, then why does he want to create a new heavens and new earth in the future? Where there's righteousness and no death and no suffering. Doesn't make sense. It impedes evangelism because it blocks people's ears to the gospel. They think that the Bible's just a bunch of myths. In other words, God used evolution, which I tried to believe, means that much of the Bible has to be just as unreliable if you think about it. But I didn't think about it. I didn't think about it. And many people don't. Maybe it hurts to think about it. Uh, it hurt me. I didn't want to think about it. I thought maybe if I thought too much about it, uh, I'd have to ditch my faith. And so that's a, a survival mechanism, if you like. But it was an incredible flowering of my faith when I discovered that I could actually believe what the Bible says. And one of the things that helps people in this is to realise that there's different sorts of science. There's experimental science where this has given us amazing benefits in today's world. And I was involved in 20 years of full-time research in, uh, in agricultural science, particularly looking at fruit trees like lychees, mangoes, custard apples, none of which you can grow here, I'm sorry. And uh, this involves doing experiments in the present and it's given us amazing benefits. And so people respect science for that reason. Uh, you do in the present observable, repeatable experiments to test things. There's a different sort of science called historical science. And this guy has this fossil which he's dug up in the present and he, uh, this is dated at 300 million years old, he thinks, and he imagines that it was to grow legs and walked out in the land and become our ancestor. Did he see that happen? No. Did he have a series of fossils to show it happened? No. How does he know it happened? He doesn't. But it's taught to our students as if it actually happened. Because what's the alternative? Oh, God created things. No, that's religion, you see. That's not science. So this is in the past, unobservable, unrepeatable. How does it even qualify as science? I don't believe it does. But it's smuggled into the science course because students rightly respect the science which has given us all sorts of modern technology and understanding about things and they just slip it in and they think it's the same thing and it helps in the indoctrination process. Not the same thing. If it's taught at all, it should be in the history of myths or something like that. Science studies are repeatable. History studies are unrepeatable. What about dinosaurs? That's history, isn't it? They lived in the past. Now, we've got the fossils in the present. But uh, when I read my Bible, it says that God created land animals on day six of creation week. And land animals would include dinosaurs, so land animals. And it also says that he created Adam and Eve on day six of creation week. And it was evening, morning, the sixth day. Uh, this is the sixth day of a seven-day week, which was the week in which God created everything. When I was trying to believe in evolution, the Bible used to say things like the days were long periods of time. No, they're not. Each one's demarcated by an evening and morning. 
thousands of years or millions of years aren't demarcated by an evening and morning, a space a seven-day week. Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, God said, God wrote on stone, I created the heavens, the earth, the seas, and everything in them in six days and rested on the seventh. So you're to work for six and rest on the seventh. Based on the Sabbath commandment, the children of Israel was based on the fact that God did it all in a week. Everything was done in a week. How did God do that? Well, God is all-powerful. God can do that. Why did he take so long? Based that seven-day week. That's why he took so long. We have a pattern for us. So is there any, any evidence that dinosaurs and people live together? Because that's the implication of Genesis chapter 1 that talks about the sixth day of creation. Yes, there is. There's abundant evidence. And there's a book up the back called Dire Dragons by Vance Nelson. Canadian guy, actually. Collected art from all around the world that shows people have seen dinosaurs not that long ago. In fact, here's an example of one. Is uh, Bishop Bell was buried in the floor of Carlisle Cathedral in 1496. And around his tomb is a brass relief, and on the brass relief are things like fish and dogs and, and cattle and pigs and things, uh, but also these creatures. What are they? They're very good representations of what we call sauropod dinosaurs. And the one on the right might be something like from fossils and paleontology tells us about Volcanodon. One of the left's a bit strange. It's got this head up here, but look at the tail has spikes on it. What sauropod dinosaur has spikes on it? Well, there is actually one known. It's called Shunosaurus. And there are hundreds of examples of these art that show people saw these creatures. Now, you won't find the word dinosaur mentioned before 1841 because that's when the word was invented. What was the word used in English for dinosaurs before 1841? I believe it was dragons. Many of the dragon stories of history actually turn out to be dinosaurs. Not all dragons are dinosaurs, but many of them are. So what's the key to understanding how the fossils and everything got under our feet after Adam and Eve? This is the thing that opened it all up for me, was to understand the flood is the key to understanding the history and the Genesis 6, 7 and 8. You think about the fossils around the world, and this is a fossil horse found with fish buried in the Green River Formation in the United States. And what do you need to form a fossil of a horse buried with fish? You need lots of mud and rapid burial. If the horse lies around in the paddock or out in the bush for a few months, what happens? There's nothing much left, is there? So to form these fossils, and these sorts of fossils are present all around the world, uh, in rock formations all over the place. There are billions of dead things buried in rock layers, laid down by water all over the world. You need lots of mud. How do you get lots of mud? Global flood of Noah would do just that. And what about the millions of years story? This is actually a secular diagram that shows the, the uh, section of the geologic column with all the fossils in it. Now, remember, these fossils need lots of mud to bury them. Okay, and this is the average of two kilometres. And what's the time frame? The time frame over here is 541 million years. And if you divide that by the 541 million years, do you get enough mud deposited to form any fossils? You know what it works out at? You get your, get your phone out, you use a calculator on your phone, you can work it out for yourself. But I'll do the calculation for you. It's 0.004 millimetres a year of sediment, sand, silt, mud. 
That's if those millions of years are correct. Those millions of years aren't correct. It does not compute. How could any fossils form with those <coughs> millions of years scenario and such a small amount of sediment? 0.004 millimetres a year, you can't even see it. You wouldn't even fossilise a bacterium with that much stuff. <coughs> if the flood made the rocks and the fossils, there were no geologic ages and deep time collapses. You can believe your Bible's history. But the millions of years are so entrenched. Everywhere you go, national parks, museums, nature documentaries, millions of years, millions of years, millions of years, everybody thinks, oh, it's right, it's true, it must be true, but it's not. It's the greatest con in modern life, in modern, modern times. This is a testimony from a young guy at school. He says, uh, my high school uh, geology course... Uh, <clears throat> sorry, my, my high school geology course and my faith was weakened by the evolutionary arguments presented in it. A few months later, I received quite a number of your books for Christmas. I must say that these books, as well as this website, creation.com, have greatly strengthened my faith, says Robert. And that's been the common testimony we've had from many people about how their faith was eroded by this sort of teaching, but they've been helped by the material that's available now. When I was struggling with these issues as a young guy, there was almost nothing available. There was one book which I was recommended and I read that and it was very helpful, but today we have a wealth of material. Videos, uh, books of all ages and things. Jesus said in John 10 verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that I have life and have it abundantly. Who's the thief? Satan. How does Satan steal and kill and destroy? All sorts of ways. But a major way that he uses today is his indoctrination and evolution in schools and universities. I'm sure all of you know somebody that's been off to university and come home and told their parents that they don't believe anymore. They've given up. It's very common. It's unnecessary. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reasons for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And uh, our, this is our motto as a ministry, is to help God's people with answers to these questions so you can be effective in sharing a faith with your own kids, your own family, and your friends and the people you meet. And uh, we get lots of feedback. One of our greatest resources, number one resource is Creation Magazine. Uh, Jeremy says, your writings played a big part in me becoming a Christian. My older brother got me a subscription to Creation Magazine about six years ago. This guy, you, you guys make evangelism easy. Who thinks evangelism is easy? <laughs> Good on you. Not many. I just give a creation magazine to somebody and then the next time I see them, we talk about it. Do you know you can get a conversation with somebody with this that wasn't interested? In fact, there was a couple in New Zealand, I stayed with them, a pastor and his wife, and they had this uh, policeman, young friend, and he was babysitting their children one night, but they told me that he was not interested in uh, 
in the things of God. It, they told him, he told them, don't talk about it, I'm not interested. So what do you do then? Well, they left him, but he was sitting in their children one evening. He was a very good friend of theirs. And uh, they didn't have any television, so he couldn't veg out in front of the television. But they had Creation Magazine sitting on the coffee table, colourful magazine. When they came home that evening, he said, I've been reading that magazine like you meant me to. <laughs> he said, have you got anything else like that? Two weeks later, he professed faith in Christ. Someone who wasn't interested. That's the thing. This is, the, this is where the rubber hits the road. You know, is the Bible real? Is it true? Does it actually speak about real, real things or is it just a myth? And this is what Creation Magazine can do. And so uh, you can get Creation Magazine today if you haven't got it. Um, the, uh, it covers the widest range of topics of any resource. Every issue has a range of topics covered. And uh, it's got a children's section. There's no paid advertising. It's delivered quarterly. It comes out four times a year. And you get an email version as well, uh, which is a digital version. You share with up to five other people. It's the number one equipping tool that we have. In Canada, you can subscribe for $7.50 bill every three months. Risk-free. You can unsubscribe if you don't decide you don't want it. You get the hard copy, you get the free digital copy, and you get free back issue when you subscribe today and see Kevin up the back there. You get a free DVD today also when you subscribe up the back. So all that's on, the, on this form you can fill in. Uh, just fill that in and give it to Kevin and uh, he'll process that. They'll be processed. And, uh, and we have some books up there. Just mention one or two. Answers book. Answers over 65 questions. Where do dinosaurs fit into the Bible? What about UFOs and uh, an alien life? Uh, what about what about what about all sorts of things are covered? How did the kangaroos get to Australia from the ark? Anybody thought about that? How to know if it's all the animals in the ark? That's, there's all sorts of questions answered in the answers. All the usual questions: Where did God come from? Who created God? That's answered in there. As we already answered that, so you don't need that one. But there's lots of other. Uh, yeah, read the answers book, you'll have answers to virtually anything anybody asks about this. Exploring Dinosaurs of Mr. Hibbs. This is a children's book about dinosaurs. You know, kids love dinosaurs, they're intrigued by them. What sort of messages are they getting with the information they source from their, you know, secular books? It's all evolution, millions of years. Teach them the truth using these sorts of resources. Deep Time Deception. When I saw this book, I thought, a book about dating of things and stuff, that could be a bit boring. But actually, I found it very interesting. I learned stuff I didn't know. Uh, the Deep Time Deception by Michael Lord's very good book about this question of the time, uh, the biblical time frame. You've got videos. This is a 12-part teaching series designed for home groups, cell groups, 12 DVD box set, or you can uh, download them, stream them from the website. Tremendous resource, uh, follow-up from what we've been dealing with here today. You can get most of our videos available streaming from creation.com, but there's a whole range of videos up the back there, DVDs you can get. So don't forget to connect with us through the Infobytes, free email news every two weeks, and get Creation Magazine. Uh, subscribe to that with a risk-free way of, of uh, trying it out. And I want to say just to close that the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, that Jesus provides salvation 
from our sin, that we do need, don't need to be punished for our sin in the future with eternal death, eternal punishment and death. The good news depends on the bad news in Genesis of the origin of sin and death with, with, uh, with Adam. And so this is the big picture from the Bible. In fact, the bigger picture is that there was in the beginning a perfect world. Everything was very good, just like God said. But then there's the intrusion of sin and death into the world through Adam. And then in the future, of course, and then the Lord Jesus Christ came as the last Adam, the one who would redeem the whole of creation that had been corrupted through sin. And then in the future is going to be new heavens and new earth where there's no more death and suffering and disease. Is that something you look forward to? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word which speaks to us truth from cover to cover. But above all else, salvation truth, how we can be saved through the Lord Jesus Christ, why he came, why he died, why he rose from the dead. We thank you, Lord, for the cogency of your word from cover to cover. It speaks truth. And Lord, help us to understand it and to be able to share it with those who are perishing. We ask it that Jesus might be magnified through us in everything we do. And Lord, bless us as we part and as we go our ways in our daily life in this week. May we honour Jesus, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.